<laughs> so uh, I have two pictures I want to share with you. The first one is a new arrival. Uh, Robert Clyde, he happens to be sitting over there. This is our new grandbaby, uh, came on uh, the second. And so we just thought we would share that with you because I can. <laughs> no other good reason other than that, but uh, he's healthy, mom's healthy. Uh, they're a little sleep deprived, but they're doing great. Uh, the second picture I want to show you, completely unrelated, um, you have a problem and I'm here to solve it. Uh, with the shift to one service, some of you, not very many, but some of you have voiced a concern that you can't find your seat. Um, so last week, uh, I came up here, and if you look at that closely, you would notice that the upper corner says it is 10.01. Um, there's a lot of seats in here at 10 o'clock. So if you are struggling to find a seat, my suggestion is, yeah. So no shame, no guilt. We are glad you're here, whether you arrived on time or not. I just want to let you know that if parking is stressing you out, if finding your seat is stressing you out, being here before 10 o'clock so that you can be in this room at 10 o'clock will probably alleviate most of your anxiety as you come to work or come to church, okay? All right, enough of that. So uh, before we jump into the, the, the sermon this morning, uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about where we've been over the last few months and a little bit about uh, the series that we're in right now. In the last few months, starting in the spring and, and into the middle of the summer, uh, we walked through uh, the book of Nehemiah. And what we discovered in the book of Nehemiah together is that there is brokenness all around us, that, that there are places that are literally falling apart and that God is calling us as individuals and as a people to step into the brokenness that we see all around us. The, the main takeaway from Nehemiah is really we are all called to have a, a Nehemiah type spirit, being willing to go where God leads us, to do what God asks us to do and to have impact in the areas around us that are broken. In the process of doing that, we make God known. When we step into the chaos, when we step into the brokenness, God becomes known through that. And we saw that in the book of Nehemiah when this incredible revival happened. Now, some of you have uh, been uncomfortable or bristled at the idea uh, when I talk about there being brokenness all around us. There's a, a kind of a, a desire not to see the brokenness, um, and then this week when I was reading, I was reading in Revelation, uh, I read this passage and, and it for me was just a very graphic portrait or picture, if you will, of why things are broken. This is the reason things are broken. And this part of Revelation is actually a look back at the fall of Satan. And it's Revelation 12, starting verse seven. You don't have to turn there. We're actually gonna teach out of John. I just wanna set this up. So Revelation 12, verse seven, it says, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon in this case is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And, and the great dragon was thrown down and the ancient serpent who was called the devil, Satan, the deceiver who, of the world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then verse 17 says, and the dragon became furious with the woman and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Just so you know, that's you and me. On those who keep the commandments of God, just so you know, that's you and me and hold the testimony of Jesus. This is the story of Satan's fall. And what I want you to hear is that Satan is real. There is an adversary who is looking to destroy you. 
You have an enemy. And the problem is we can't just pretend the enemy doesn't exist or we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. But the enemy is real. And the enemy desires to destroy you. But the good news is Jesus came. And we have victory over the enemy. But we have to know that and we have to wrestle with that in a, in a way of, of knowing that, it, that it's real. We can't just put our heads in the sand. Jesus came. One of the things that I love about the gospel is that Jesus over and over says these words. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what that means? It means that there is a, a new movement of God, that God is, is accessible to us. The kingdom of God is within your reach. The kingdom of God is, is here and now, and we have victory over evil, but we have to be willing to see the brokenness. We have to be willing to know that that's part of what Satan wants, is he wants to tear things apart. He wants to bring brokenness into your home and into your community, and then he calls, Jesus calls us to step into that brokenness and bring the kingdom of God into the brokenness so that people see and are attracted to Jesus. So that's where we were when we went through Nehemiah. And then we started this series called the B series. Why we're wearing all these t-shirts. You're all wondering why does he keep teaching in the same t-shirt? We all are. But the B series, the idea is now to kind of talk about how we can live this out practically. How can we actually be what Nehemiah taught us that we're supposed to be? So we talked about being the solution. We talked about being the one that God used. Last week, we talked about being the difference maker. And this week, we're going to see how we can be the change that's needed in our families and in our communities. We are all called to be on mission. Right, Everyone in this room is called to be on mission. We are all called to be about change that's desperately needed. And I believe that deep in the heart of every person is a desire to make a difference. We all wanna leave some kind of positive mark. I believe we are designed by God, equipped by God, and empowered by God to be a change agent. And a change agent simply is anyone who brings about or helps to bring about change. Not all change agents are good, but God is calling us to be a change agent for him. So the change that we bring is always going to be good. Uh, there's a book that I want to recommend. It's, it's kind of a, not a new book, but it's a book called Change Agent. It's by Oz Hillman. Uh, that's a, just a picture of the cover. So if you're going to order it, you know what you're looking for. Uh, it's worth taking the time to read. This morning, I'm gonna kind of refer to some of the, uh, his thoughts as I teach through this, but Oz Hillman, change agent, is worth reading. But one of the things he says in the very opening pages is he says, each of us is created to solve a problem. Each of us were created to solve a problem. Let me say it one more time, because I want this one to really sink in. I want it to take root in who you are. Each person in this room, each of us, was created to solve a problem. Nehemiah was uniquely created to solve a unique problem. Noah, Joseph, David, the disciples, whoever you choose in the scriptures, there's something about how they are made, how they are wired, how they are designed, how they are gifted that is made to solve a particular problem. But way too often what holds us back is we don't think that God wants to use us the way he uses them or those people or that person. We see our part of the story as just way too small. We see ourselves as insignificant, right? We fail to see that there are people, sometimes we just look at the, the famous people and we fail to see the people who are behind 
the famous people. Does that make sense? So there's, there's more going on than just the person that, you, that you've heard of, that famous person that brought about great change. Let me give you an example. How many of you ever heard of Edward Kimball? Not very many of you had. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher and he took it to heart to pray for every one of the boys in his Sunday school class. And he struggled with some of the kids and they're being hyper and giving him difficulty. If any of you have ever taught Sunday school, you know it can be a little bit difficult, right? But, but Edward Kimball knew that, 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 that these kids were struggling. Well, one of, the, one of the, the men or young boys in his particular Sunday school was struggling. So Edward Kimball went to where he worked. He worked in a shoe store and he went into the back into the stock room where this young man was working and he shared the gospel with him and he talked to him one-on-one about the need for him to make a commitment to Christ. And so as he shared, this young man gave his life to Christ in that stock room. The young man was Dwight Moody. Right, And if you know who Dwight Moody is, he's had this huge impact on two different continents. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are affected by the gospel. Look, Edward Kimball was created to solve a problem. You are created to solve a problem. And the problem or the thing is when we are self-effacing, right? When we, what I mean by that is when we're so insecure, have such a low level of, of self-value and self-worth, when we think, God, God doesn't want to use me, I don't have anything to offer to the kingdom, and the truth is we make God a liar, and God can't use us or won't use us in the way he desires to. So let me say it a little bit differently. God is calling you, all of you, every person in this room. God is calling you to be a change agent, right? And this calling, it's not a burden. It's an incredible privilege. But the question we have to ask ourselves is how? How am I to be the change? How am I to be a change agent? What What is it that I need to know? What is it I need to do? How is it I need to respond to people if I am going to be a change agent? And then the second thing I want to talk about this morning is where. Where is God calling you to be about change? So we're going to start with the how question. How are we to be a change agent? So I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13. While you're looking for that, I want to go back to last week and recap something that that G told us. So G talked about the need for us to understand our lives from three different perspectives. That we need to understand the Word of God, right? And we need to understand what God wants us to do. But then G talked about the fact that we need to understand the way. The Word, the what in the way. And when we talk about the way here and this morning, and I use the word how we're supposed to do it, they're kind of interchangeable. They're synonymous with one another. What we do, how we do something is no less important than what we do. Matter of fact, how we do things is more important than what we do. We need to understand the way in which we are called to do this. And in John chapter 13, Jesus gives us this crystal clear instruction about the way. John chapter 13, I'm gonna start reading in verse one, then I'm gonna skip around just a little bit, so stay with me. But it's verse one, it starts with, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jump down to verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? So you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if, you, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Truly I say to you, the servant is no greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Then jump down to verse 34. After doing all this, Jesus says these words. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's really verse 34 and 35 where I wanna land, but, but verse 34 and 35 don't make any sense unless we have some context to what's going on. Jesus has done something that is really shocking. We really have very little cultural understanding of just how shocking what Jesus has just done is. If you were a first century Jew and, and you were there and you saw Jesus washing the feet, you would have been aghast. You see, even in that culture, if you were a slave, if you were a Jewish slave, a bondservant, even if you'd taken an oath of being a bondservant as a Jew, you were excused from ever having to wash feet because that act was below any Jewish person, or at least that's what the culture said. So this was a big deal. This was, was stepping out. Like I said, we don't have any real cultural uh, understanding of this. Maybe the, I was trying to think of a good example. Maybe if you lived in England and that queen lady showed up at your house and washed your toilet, right? That would be pretty shocking, right? We would be like, what? Or, or that over-photographed family, the prince, what's his name? The prince, his, her daughter has the wife and all the kids and they take their picture all the time. Anyway, right, if he shows up at your, sorry, I'm not up on my English royalty, but anyway, they show up at your house and they start sweeping your floors and cleaning out. No one would expect that, right? We would be shocked if that happened, right? So the, the image that Jesus is, is giving us, the portrait that we have in this story is that the one who is supposed to be served, the one who is royalty, actually is the one who serves. Jesus said, I come as the one who serve. I came to serve, not to be served, right? So that's the, the picture that we have. Look at verse 12. If you still have it open, and I just encourage you to leave it open. Verse 12, Jesus says these words. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Now, here's the deal. I am totally confident that this question is not just about what's happening in the room. I think it's about what's happening in the room, but the question is way bigger than what's happening in the room. He's saying, do you understand what it means that I'm washing your feet? Yes, but he's also saying, do you understand what I've done for you over the last three years? Do you understand what I did for you when I came as the baby and was born to Mary? Do you understand my, my movement in human history? Do you understand all that I've done for you? I also think he asked the question because he knew the disciples would go back to the question as they journeyed through ministry, when they were most frustrated, when they were having the most difficult season of time in their ministry, they would go back to that question, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know who I am? 
Do you know all that I've done for you? It's an amazing question. It's actually a question that, that we need to say with, look, John and I didn't work it out, but when he stopped for a minute and he had you reflect on what you have, how you have been blessed, that's the picture of even stopping and say, God, show me what you've done for me. Do you know what I've done for you? It's a great question for us to ponder. So I'm gonna do something, we don't do this very often. Some of you are gonna be uncomfortable with it, but I've already made you mad by talking about being here early, so I might as well just keep it up. Uh, we're gonna bring the house lights down and uh, we're just gonna have a, a time to ask Jesus to just reflect a little bit. So my encouragement to you is to just put your hands in your lap with your palms up. It's just a posture of receiving, right? Just to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I want it. I wanna encourage you, close your eyes, Take a deep breath and exhale just to relax a little bit more. Be open to God surprising you. And where you are right now, I just wanna ask you to quietly ask the Lord to speak to you. If you're willing to pray these words, just say, Lord Jesus, I do not understand all that you have done for me. Would you show me? Would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, what have you done for me? Just listen. For some of you, you hear a phrase. For others, you're seeing a picture. I just encourage you to hold on to that. It's a great question. Some of you are just hearing God say, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I gave you life. I make a way for you. I sacrificed my life for you. Some of you thought about your family. Some of you thought about your new grandbaby. Some of you just realized God's saying, I live in you. I've empowered you. I've entrusted my mission to you. Lord, we thank you that you speak. We thank you that you are personally involved in each one of our lives and that you desire to speak truth into the deepest parts of our soul. Lord, we just thank you this morning that that's part of our experience. Thank you for who you are and we thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, you can bring the lights back up. So look again uh, at verse one. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's the last part of that that I want you to, to see where it says he loved them to the end. If any of you have an NIV, it probably reads, he showed them the full extent of his love. I love that phrase. Jesus showed them the full extent of his love in that room. It was a profound moment. Jesus is about to be betrayed by the very people he's serving. He knows that. He knows that they're going to walk away from him. He knows everything that's about to happen. We see it in the passage, knowing all that's going to happen, knowing that he's about to depart from the world, knowing all of the pain of rejection. Sometimes I think while the cross was the most, most brutal death anyone's ever experienced, I think the pain of abandonment and desertion in some ways was greater for Jesus. 
right? All of that that he had to endure. He knows all that's coming. And in that moment, he shows them the full extent of his love. After all of that, verse 34, Jesus says to them, he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, this is a bit confusing because if we know anything about the scriptures, we know that love isn't anything new. And if you think about it, when, when the, the, the leader, the, um, the, I'm sorry, the Pharisee or whoever it was, the teacher of the law came and he said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. That was before this. So the love commandment was there a long time before Jesus is in this room talking to his disciples. So if love isn't new, then what is it about this is new? And what makes it new are the words, as I have loved you. That's the standard that we are to love others by. That's where the bar is set. That's why the question, do you know what I've done for you, is so important. Because the more we understand all that Jesus has done for us, the more we understand how we are called to love others. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. This is the way to be a change agent. I want to reflect for just a bit on, on how Jesus loved us. And, and I go to this passage a lot. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, um, but it's Philippians 2. And I was excited when G talked about it last week uh, as well. But I think it's one of the most poetic, most powerful pictures of the gospel. But in, in Philippians 2, it says, Jesus, uh, it says to us, your attitude your and my attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. In other words, we are to act the way Jesus acted. So your attitude is to be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto. But it says that he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a human. God, Jesus, part of the Holy Trinity, takes on the form of a human. He dwelt among us. He inconvenienced himself for us. He laid something down that was rightfully his in order to be with the people, to, in order to be present with the people. The point I want you to hear is if we are to love others as Christ has loved us, we have to move towards people. We have to go to people. It's not enough to send a Facebook message. I just, I'm sorry, it's not enough. We need to go, we need to be with the people in our lives. I understand this isn't easy stuff, so uh, this is a crazy story. I think I've told you this before. It doesn't matter what I teach on. God always wants to give me a very <laughs> real taste of it. So uh, Friday, I had about three hours to finish this message. I feel a lot of pressure when that's happening. I gotta get something because I can't really come up here and not say anything because that would be really embarrassing. So I'm working on my sermon. I got here, I'm, I come in early when nobody's really here yet and I begin to work on my sermon on loving people and the, when somebody buzzes the door in the front door, the phone rings differently and so I know somebody's at the front door and so the phone begins to do this double ring thing and I'm like, oh, somebody's at the front door. I'm just gonna ignore it because I got a sermon to write and we're gonna open at 9.30 and they can just come in when the people get here and I got something to do here. Well, a few minutes later, it buzzes again and I'm literally thinking, oh, I can't believe somebody's here. What? I'm trying to work here. 
you know, I think it actually rang three times. I'm not bragging here. I'm just telling you the truth. So I finally get up and I go downstairs and I help the person, but I'm telling you, I'm not very pleasant. I'm pretty sure I had an attitude. What do you need? Okay, fine. Blah, 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 blah. They go. I walk back upstairs. I sit down. Five minutes later, the phone rings again. It's somebody at the front door. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to write a sermon. I'm loving people. So I run downstairs. I help that person. Yeah. So then I come back upstairs, and literally, I sit down at my desk, and I'm at about this point in my sermon, and I'm thinking, I just wish I had a good example, <laughs> right? I just wish I had a, an, an example. Look, here's the deal. As funny as it is, it's so sad. It just is. In that moment, you know what I was doing? I was, I was practicing my religion. I was writing words on a piece of paper. I wasn't living what I was called to live. I wasn't loving those people the way Jesus loved me. I didn't even have time for them. Look, we live in a fast-paced, demanding culture. And if we are not intentional about taking time to be with people, then we won't be with people. It's just the way that it is. We have to be willing to inconvenience ourselves. There's no out clause Love people the way I've loved you unless you're writing a sermon, right? We gotta be willing to get our hands dirty and to be with the people the way Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced and be with us. But there's more to that Philippians 2 story. It says that Jesus, not just being human, but he also became a servant. He could have just come and been a human and put himself in a position of luxury and, and had it easy, but he became a servant. We see it in the John 13 passage, Jesus serving. He didn't come to serve, but to be served. He lowered himself to a position of serving others. I love what Flett taught us in week two of this series. Remember what he said? He said, in man's economy, to serve, to be a slave is about being reduced. It's about being belittled. It's about being made less. But in God's economy, to serve is to be enlarged. To serve, something happens. The scriptures say when we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. And if you read the rest of that Philippians 2 passage, and I just encourage you to go home and just read Philippians 2. It's not a very long chapter. And just read it in context. But it talks about at the end how Jesus is then lifted up and placed in this position. When we serve, God is the one who lifts us up. We hear people say this all the time. And they say, well, I, I decided to serve. I decided to mentor a kid. And I thought I had something to give, but that hour of the week is the best hour of my week. It's, man, I get more than I ever give. I thought I was going to do this because I had something to give, but God's given me more than I could have ever given. That's God's economy when we serve. And then in Philippians, Paul says, not just a man, not just human, not just a servant, but a servant who's willing to go to the cross and lay down his life for you and me. If we want to be change agents, if we really want to be about change, we have to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. The way, the, the how, is love. And the standard is that we're to love others the way Jesus loved us. So I want to talk for just a minute about the where. Where is God calling you to be a change agent? 
when I showed you that book, this is one of the key things that I took out of the book that a lot of you probably have heard this, but I never had. In the, in the mid-70s, there were a couple of pretty influential men that came together for a lunch. One was Lauren Cunningham. If you know who Lauren is, he uh, started YWAM. The other one is Bill Bright, who's uh, what used to be Campus Crusade, now is just um, crew. But anyway, these two men came together in 1975, and, and they both had been given something by God that they were excited to share with the other one. So they sat down for lunch, and, and unknown to them, the, the powerful moment was that God had given them both the very same thing. And for them, that was confirmation. And actually, if you read the whole story, what you find out is God had given the same word to a few other prominent leaders at the same time. So all these leaders were hearing the same thing at the same time. And it actually became kind of a movement that I was missing because I was doing something else in those days that we don't need to talk about right now. But anyway... The whole point that they, were, that they came back to is that there are seven mountains, they call them, or seven spheres, seven area where God's people need to be about making change. Those are the seven, business, government, media, arts and entertainment, education, family, and religion. They call these the seven mountains of society. We're gonna keep that list up for just a, a little bit. I started this morning talking about brokenness. There's brokenness all around us. And when you look at that list, if you stop at each one, it's not very hard to begin to know or to think about where things are broken. If you were alive during the political season that we just moved through, the presidential election, you're probably aware that the government is broken. Regardless of where you land politically, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't good. Something is broken in our political system, right? It's just not hard to see that. If you think about the media, and don't get me started on the media. If you are relying on mainstream media to get your information, whether you lean left or you lean right, you are in trouble. Because the media is not your friend. All they wanna do is get you angry and stirred up. All they wanna do is get something going inside of you it has nothing to do with the spirit of God because they know that's what's gonna make you tune in tomorrow and the next day and the next day. The media is broken. Arts and entertainment, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out it's going in a bad direction, right? Sounds like doomsday here, but remember where I started? I have overcome the world. We have victory in Jesus. But these are the mountains that we have to climb. And the more broken they are, the more opportunity we have to be change agents, to play a part in, in making the change. But change is never going to happen. Get this, people. Change is never going to happen until we stop separating the spiritual, the sacred, and the secular. We cannot be change agents. Hear me in this. We cannot be change agents if we think this is what God is doing, and that's something completely different. God is in all of it. There is no separating the sacred and the secular. Acts 17. And this is the New Living Translation. It says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of the heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. You know God is not confined to this room on Sunday morning. Right? Back to the list. Right? Can we put the list back up there? The first mountain on there is business. We have uh, a couple people here who are partners with us. Rob and Meg, I think you're still here. They might have left in the middle of my sermon, but there they are. You want to stand for a second? <laughs> We love you, welcome. Rob and May traveled the world, literally, 
helping people to establish businesses in countries where it's hard to talk about Jesus. In some of the hardest places in the world, they establish businesses. They do something that we call business for transformation. You know what? It's kind of sad that they had to tell people this. We should have known that business is a great way to get in with people, to, to have an impact with people, but thousands of people are now impacted through this model of business for transformation when people just start businesses and they run them Christianly and they realize that's my sanctuary. That's my sacred place. The business that I've been called into is the place where I can have the most impact. It's the place where God has put people in front of me. These are people who have, who have come back together. And the thing that just kind of annoys me, it's not what they're doing, is that somehow that's become the norm or become an important part of how we're doing business over there. But we're not necessarily realizing that this is how we're supposed to do business here. Every one of you that owns a business should be thinking about your business as mission, that your business is where God has called you to have an impact. You look at that list and you see education and I just can't help but tell you about this one because you already know, but you gotta hear it again. God has entrusted to us the opportunity to change the broken education system in Detroit. God has entrusted to the body of Christ, the, the churches in the city, to change the education system in Detroit. With a partnership with SOAR, we see kids go up two and a half grade levels. We see kids go up four and five grade levels in just a year of tutoring. One-on-one, -on -one, mentor-based tutoring. We've taken over 1,000 kids through it. The average kid is just under 2.4 grade levels. And God has said, through you, I want to teach every willing third grader in Detroit to read at or above grade level. We are going to turn the literacy rate on its head. <laughs> Sore tutoring is a gift. That's part of what's on the card. We are asking everyone at Grace to give one hour a week to change the life of a child, to teach them to read. One hour a week. You can do it on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or Thursdays. You can pick the time. You can even go into some schools where we're at. We have different locations. Maybe you work downtown. We have locations closer to downtown. Maybe you work on the west side or live on the west side. We have locations on the west side. But imagine if we step into the broken education system as a church. Imagine if we were a change agent in that. Imagine if the church actually fixed the broken education system in Detroit. People would see God and know that God loves them. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. We, every one of us, are called to be change agents. And you're called to be a change agent right where God has put you, in your family, right? In your workplace. And when we realize and live out this truth, sacred places wherever you go, and then you're gonna be the change agent that God's calling you to be. If you love others, the way Christ has loved you. God is calling you and me to be change agents. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the power of your word. Thank you that you've given us just incredible opportunities to uh, be about change. Lord, I pray that when we stand before you someday that you would just say, well done. You did what I asked you to do and that we would leave the numbers up to you and but we would just be faithful to do what you've called us to do. I pray that we would learn to love the others the way you loved us. I pray it would start in our homes. That we would love one another the way you loved us. How radical 
that would change our marriages and our parenting if we just lived by that one code of conduct. Lord, we just give our lives to you and we ask that you would use us in any way that you see fitting. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a group of people that gather every morning and pray for you and listen to the Lord. What is it that God wants to do uh, this morning? And uh, this is what we heard this morning. Uh, some of you just need to hear this. Be courageous, for I am with you. Kind of fitting to this message, isn't it? You don't do this on your own. The Lord is with you. Uh, we feel like there's some people here today that are still suffering some residual effects from a car accident. And we would love to pray over you if you wanna come down. Uh, suicide was a word that we heard. So if some of you are uh, bumping into that, whether it's you or somebody in your family, we'd love to pray over you for that. Uh, and then the last thing somebody heard was that there's violence uh, in the family and in the neighborhood and you just want some prayers of protection over you. Uh, obviously, if there's something else that's stirring in you, you're welcome to come down. If the prayer team wants to come down uh, right now, that would be great. So we're ready to receive people. God bless you. Have an awesome Sunday.